How is Vermont's economy doing? Pretty well, writes Art Wolf, a retired University of Vermont economics professor and frequent commentator on the state's economy. In an article published by Vermont Digger, he celebrates the fact that Vermont's general fund revenues exceeded expectations by nearly $60 million. And how did this magic happen? Well, if you read the piece, you can only conclude that it just happened on its own. The piece uses passive voice, attributing absolutely no agency to the Trump Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which is the real reason why Montpelier has tens of millions of extra taxpayer monies to play with this year. Wolf cherry-picks facts to support his claim that the state's economy is thriving. He explains, quote, Unemployment remains at a record low, just over 2%. And although employment growth is weak, wages have been growing at a healthy rate of more than 3%, quote. Now let us unpack this important quote to reveal the truth. A 2% unemployment rate is not always good news. In fact, it can indicate a very unhealthy state of affairs when it implies that there are not enough available workers to fill existing jobs. So how do we determine what the 2% unemployment rate in Vermont actually reflects? A. Does it imply that people are sufficiently employed, there are jobs for everybody, and so only 2% are unable to find work? Or B, does it imply that there aren't enough workers in the workforce to begin with? Wolf answers this question when he says that employment growth is weak. Employment or job growth is a measure of how many jobs are created on a monthly basis. If job growth in Vermont is weak, this means that new jobs aren't getting created. And therefore, an unemployment rate of 2% simply means that people aren't looking for work anymore. They've left the workforce and perhaps even the state. So, while Wolf celebrates the fact that wages have been growing, this wage growth is a short-term phenomenon and is not sustainable. How can it be when there are no new jobs and when the workforce is declining? After painting a very rosy picture of Vermont's economy, Wolf admits, the state will probably announce a 50 or $60 million surplus but when we add in the expenditures we need to make to fulfill the promises made to state and local employees, that is, the unfunded liabilities for the public pension and health care benefits, after factoring in that enormous piece of debt, then the fiscal year comes up at least $200 million short. However, he concludes that instead of worrying about the $200 million in debt, he'll just have another glass of wine. Of course, Wolf, a 67-year-old retiree, can afford to drink wine and not worry about the growing debt. But I cannot. And if you are under 40 and wish to live in Vermont, then you cannot afford to drown reality in a glass of Chardonnay either.
David Coates, retired managing partner at KPMG Vermont, a distinguished accounting firm, has years of experience dealing with Vermont's fiscal woes. He confirms that the federal tax cuts by the Trump administration are the reason for Vermont's surplus revenues this past fiscal year. The Trump tax cuts are also why the state of Vermont has increased its revenue estimates for the next two fiscal years. Coates says that personal income taxes will grow generically because of the impact of the federal tax cuts. However, this revenue surplus is not sustainable, given the extent of Vermont's indebtedness. What is Vermont's indebtedness? To answer this question, we need to examine Vermont's growing unfunded liabilities for retired state employee and teacher pensions and health care benefits. In fact, Coates has been sounding the alarm about this critical issue for years. In 2019, the state of Vermont has a total unfunded liability debt of $4.5 billion. There are two parts to this. The first part is pensions of public school teachers and state employees, and this figure is $2.3 billion. And the second part is health care benefits for these retirees and their spouses, and that number is $2.2 billion. I interviewed him recently on my TV show, Dialogues with Meg Hansen, And in this excerpt from the interview, David Coates explains the fundamentals of this debt crisis and why no one in power wants to deal with the elephant in the room. What is an unfunded liability and how did we get here? An unfunded liability is the difference between what we owe the participants, whether they're state workers or teachers, Mm -hmm. versus the amount that we've accumulated in investments to pay those. Okay. So let's just talk about the pension first. Sure. There was a $73 million increase just from 2018, and 10 years ago, this liability was $487 million. So why do the numbers keep increasing so much? Well, one big reason, obviously, is that we use the wrong rate of, rate of return assumption. Mm-hmm. We're assuming that we're going to make more than we actually have. Over the last 10 years, our rate of return on all of those investments has been 5.5%. Correct, correct. And yet, we're assuming this last year only 7.5%, but before that we were as high as 8.25%. So that's a huge difference when you're looking at $3 billion plus in investments, and as a result, that means when we miss that, it increases the liability for the next year. Okay, so let's just simplify this a little bit. So the Vermont State Treasurer is saying that they expect 7.5% on the returns. Yes. So this money, the pension, has been invested, and they're expecting 75 over the next 20 years. However, as you just said, over the last 10 years, we've been getting a return of 5.5%. So we're basically assuming more money will come in than it actually will. Um, and we still, and as you said, it was 8.25, and now it's 7.5. So would you say that the state is still not being really honest about how bad the problem is? Uh, that's my feeling. We aren't transparent enough to the taxpayers. Okay. We can't earn that. And just recently, CalPERS, which is the largest system in the country. In California. In California. They have said that they look at the next 10 years, and they're going to earn 6.1%. Using just 6.5%, if we were to assume that that's what we should have, okay, 
that would add six hundred million dollars more to the pension liability alone. Oh, wow. Yes, I mean that's a huge amount. That's almost at three billion dollars. Just the pension. Right. And so we're we're really not actually addressing the problem. The hole is much deeper than than the state is telling us. And I think we've done that continually. Mm -hmm. We're assuming that we can do better than what we've done and actually as far as returns go, Vermont has ranked in the bottom third of all yes, the states. That's right. By estimating a higher percentage of returns on investments, the Vermont State Treasurer's Office is making a mistake. The pension debt hole is much deeper than they are willing to admit. But there's more bad news. Remember how I explained that the unfunded liabilities have two parts? Pensions and health care benefits for retirees and their spouses? The state is not putting any money toward paying off that second piece on health care benefits for retirees and their spouses. That's right, we're not funding that part of the debt problem at all. The magnitude of Vermont's unfunded liabilities puts us among the bottom third of all states. So, it should come as no surprise then that a few weeks ago, a major credit agency, Fitch Ratings, downgraded Vermont's bond rating. This follows a similar move made last October by Moody's, another major credit agency that also dropped Vermont's bond rating. Both agencies cited high public pension debt as a major reason for doing so. A lower rating makes it more expensive for the state to borrow funds, which means that more taxpayer monies will be needed to pay off the enormous pension debt. Coates has said that Montpelier will have to raise taxes to pay for its mismanagement of this debt crisis. I asked him to explain. Where else do we get the money to pay it unless we raise taxes? Okay. or cut programs and just looking at the last session in the legislature there's the, not a willingness to cut programs okay and as we saw I think Senator Kitchell indicated that all of a sudden the additional amount that's due on the the annual amount that must be paid in for the pensions and she was referring to the teachers pensions right. because that that particular pension is underfunded mm -hmm. and and the ratio on that is very low it's in the low 60s okay. so that creates a real problem now to the extent that we don't fund those and that that means the liability we will only go up again and again and again so only 60 percent off the pension is funded that's what that that's what's funded as far as the teachers are overall the state when you take the state and the teachers the net is about 64 percent my my understanding is that you know this is so bad that we can't really tax our way out of the problem we need to grow our way out of the problem and so I would think that to do that Vermont needs to become a pro-growth state again and for that it needs to be a freedom state however you don't think that it's going in that direction well let me first let me go back on that tax thing again okay. I throw that out only because it doesn't make any sense we're already taxed to the limit exactly so in order to go further we would have to make the taxes probably double because that's our biggest tax fund raising of fund revenue funds right right so yeah that puts us way out on the line and as the governor has said yeah this affordability is the key for Vermonters and to the extent 
we keep raising taxes, right. then we'll become even more unaffordable than we have been. So what other corrective measures would you propose for this problem? Well, for this problem right here, one way, of course, would be to make some changes in terms of how we deal with those, not on an annual basis, but right. in total, okay. to reduce some of those additional costs coming up. Uh, I would also say we look realistically at what the assumptions are mm -hmm. so that we know what the liability is. Right now, it's a moving target. Okay. And a moving target, as we all know, is hard to hit. So we should look at 7% or 7.5% or 6.5%? We should be looking at 6.5% okay. is what I think. Now, that's net of fees. Okay. And one other thing that always happens, and we say it, we set a target at, say, a 7.5%, yeah. but if we pay fees of 2%, mm -hmm. then we're only going to get 7.3%. I see. So I see. this is another misconception. So where does politics play into all of this? Well, the politics come in because uh, they have to deal with this once, once a year up in Montpelier. Mm -hmm. well, let me give you the best example. Okay. As you mentioned in the outset, I've been working on this for several years. Right. I haven't been called before a legislative panel in the last three years. They asked me to come in this year, and they didn't set a date. And then when we followed up, they said all of their time was used up. So they don't want to hear from the other side of this issue. But David, you are a registered Democrat. Oh yes, proud of it. And, and, and yet, you see that the, our legislature in, in Montpelier is controlled by the left, and they're not open to this idea? Well, I think it comes back to the unions. Okay. The unions are a powerful force in Montpelier. It's, from my perspective, it's pretty hard when you're sitting on one side of the table, and then on the other side of the table, you have somebody that may be a legislator that has been supported by the unions. I see. That, that does complicate things. It complicates things. Politics plays a very important role at the negotiating table. Representatives of the labor unions have but one goal in mind, ensuring that pension payments and health care benefits carry on uninterrupted in perpetuity. Public labor unions have ramped up these efforts in recent years following Detroit's landmark bankruptcy case in 2013. The city of Detroit filed for Chapter 9 bankruptcy on July 18, 2013, the largest municipal bankruptcy filing in U.S. history by debt. Over half of Detroit's $18 billion accumulated debt was attributable to city pension obligations and employee benefits. The Constitution of Michigan guarantees pension payments. Therefore, the law ensures that these payments cannot be reduced or eliminated. However, Detroit filed in U.S. bankruptcy court, and the court ruled that federal law trumps state law. As a result, pensioners would have to take a hit in order to enable the city of Detroit from ending its 17-month bankruptcy period and completing its reorganization plan that would shed $7 billion of debt. Thousands of retired Detroit city workers consequently experienced 4.5% pension cuts and reduced health insurance coverage so that Detroit could close a pension plan funding gap of $1.88 billion. In the aftermath, public labor unions have been aggressively lobbying 
major states and cities to increase funding of public pensions and employee benefits. So you can expect the same in Vermont. Increasing income taxes is the only way that Montpelier can increase funding of its enormous public pension debt and the growing costs of healthcare benefits for retirees and their spouses. In an interview filmed at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics this March, Brian Reynolds, a pension fund strategist, elaborates on the impact of this push to raise income taxes to pay for pension debt. And every major state since then has either raised or is thinking of raising taxes to try and narrow this funding gap in our pension system. And the result is overwhelming. Every month I track pension votes going into, into credit from these new tax flows. The chart I do goes up and to the right. It's now growing faster than the average annual value of the federal tax cut that was passed in 2017. In other words, we did a trillion dollar tax cut over 10 years, that's 100 billion a year. State and local taxes just for pensions are now growing at more than 115 billion a year. So here we are at a crucial point. The debt crisis could jeopardize access to funds for pensioners. It could double or triple income taxes for Vermonters. What will happen in that case? Most people will leave and the mass exodus will completely collapse Vermont's economy and bankrupt the state. The response, however, to this problem has been baffling. On the one hand, Democratic and Progressive Party leaders in the state Senate scolded the rating agencies for unfairly downgrading Vermont's bond rating. And on the other hand, the media applauded high schoolers who shut down a major intersection in Montpelier as they demanded climate justice. In other words, the adults get away with zero accountability for their fiscal mismanagement and for brainwashing these hapless children who don't realize that they are the ones who will have to pay for the accumulating debt out of their own pockets. They should be demanding fiscal justice from the state's leaders while reading up on how sunspots and solar winds affect the Earth's climate. Of course, in order to do so, they would need access to an actual education that prioritizes open-minded and critical thinking as opposed to ideological indoctrination. So, today's teens disrupt traffic as they challenge an ideological boogeyman, while Vermont's power players bankrupt tomorrow as they continue to make this state unlivable for millennials. For more political analysis and an examination of the issues in a state run by the far left, stay tuned for more episodes. I'm super thrilled to share that the podcast is now available on iTunes, so make sure to subscribe for new episodes every Tuesday with bonus Thursday thoughts. Write to me at megpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, on my Facebook page, Dialogues with Meg Hansen, where you can watch interviews from my TV show. Until next time, I'm Meg Hansen, and you've been listening to Writing What's Left. <laughs>